um, in this brief little series that we were doing on Pentecost. So last week was the beginning, and this week is the end, and so I'm not sure if two make a series, but I think it does. And so um, this morning we're going to kind of continue in this, 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 this brief series of celebrating Pentecost. Um, and Pentecost was the visible manifestation of the coming of the Holy Spirit to all those who believe in Christ. In Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believer, showing that the promised one of God, the promised uh, helper that God had granted to his people, had come and was now empowering the believers. And no longer was God going to reveal his glory through a nation, but he was going to reveal his glory through his people, his church, all those who believed. And so... This morning we're going to complete this part of this study. Last week we looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and this morning we're going to look at ministry in the Holy Spirit. And so, as we look this morning, what we're going to see is the unique gifts that God has given us and has given to His church. The unique gifts that, that God, through His Spirit, has given us. And so, this topic of spiritual gifts, often, as many of you have grown up in the church or have seen it in the church, that it can actually be a place of divide. Uh, it actually invokes a lot of reaction. Sometimes that reaction is simply, what are my spiritual gifts? What does that mean? What does that look like? And then for others, it could simply be, gosh, man, this is always dividing. And so... Why do we even want to deal with it? And do spiritual gifts actually matter? Is it important that we live in the, the, the gifts that God has given us, and what do we actually do with it? Does my gift actually matter? The gift that God has given me as he lays out in his word, does that matter? And the truth is, it does. Because the Spirit has granted us gifts so that the body of Christ might be built up. They're gifts that are empowered by the Holy Spirit for the building up of His church. You see, the Holy Spirit desires to empower His work and reveal His truth through the body of Christ. That's what He wants these, the use of these gifts for. And so, this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be going all the way through that chapter, verses 1 through 31. We're just going to take a, uh, an overview of that, that, that chapter. But I want us to read it together this morning because it's important for us to understand these gifts and the purpose of these gifts that God has given us through His Spirit. Let's go to stand as we read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans, you were led astray, and you idols. However you were led. Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. 
to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it's written, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would, be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you who are the body of Christ, individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still more next time. Lord God, as we look at your word this morning, Lord, may we be reminded of the powerful work of your spirit. God, may we steady our hearts before you. God, may we quiet our hearts before you. Lord, those things that may be on our hearts, maybe those those distractions that are, are pulling at us, Father, maybe sins that work within our lives, or maybe concerns or burdens that we're having in this life, things that we're dealing with. Whatever it may be, God, those things that are most prevalent in our heart right now, may we just put them at your feet. Lord, we ask for your spirit to speak directly and boldly within our lives this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you move powerfully amongst us. Father, move my flesh aside, and may it be you who brings your word in power. Father, may each of us have ears to hear, and may we each have eyes to see, Father, may we see and hear with your understanding and with your wisdom. And we ask this in your name. Amen. 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 <laughs>
gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to each believer for the work of his ministry and to demonstrate the truth of God's oneness through the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to each believer for the work of his ministry and to demonstrate the truth of God's oneness through the body of Christ. These gifts of the Spirit are for this ministry within the body. It's for the purpose of building up of the body of Christ. It's interesting that spiritual gifts have so much behind them, that spiritual gifts have often been a source of disunity within the body of Christ. The Corinthians are facing it in this passage. We often face it in our world today. There are areas of division that rise up around the spiritual gifts. Now it's interesting that the Holy Spirit, His work is to bring unity and to unify. And it's no wonder that when we speak of the things of the Spirit, that spiritual warfare, the enemy comes against that in a very firm and direct and powerful way. Because he knows that if he can get disruption around the work of the Spirit, he can disrupt the unity within the body of Christ. I found over the years that preaching on the Holy Spirit is often a season of time where that warfare tends to rise up. And that warfare rises up because it directly pushes against the very thing that is declaring God's glory, and that is the unity of God's people in His power. In His power. There's something powerful about the unity in the body of Christ. What's even more powerful is the unity of the body of Christ working and functioning as it should. People today spend hours in the gym working to get their body to function as it should, right? I'm not that physical specimen that everybody looks at and goes, uh, yeah, it's functioning exactly as it should, right? I've got weight to lose. I've got body parts that ache and, and twist and the wind. And, and, and they, you know, it seems like that as much as I want to go run after a basketball the way that I once could, I take about five steps and go, oh, that hurts, you know? It's a little different. Right? But when there's power, when the body of Christ is functioning the way that it should, there's something about this healthy body that is declaring God's glory and power because the world knows it can only happen through God. And so, similar today, in the Corinthian church, there was division that was actually ripping apart because of these spiritual gifts. And people were elevating the gifts of tongues over the other spiritual gifts at the expense of the unity within the body of Christ. And so Paul begins in verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now this word, spiritual gifts, is the Greek word pneumatikos, and pneumatikos literally means things from the Spirit. His point is that spiritual gifts can only be derived from the Holy Spirit. They can only be derived from the Holy Spirit. It's the only place they can come from. And so he's reminding the people that these gifts that are being practiced within the body of Christ, 
are directly from the Spirit. And he continues in verse 2 through 3. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray in mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul doesn't want them to be deceived. He doesn't want the Corinthians to be deceived in any way. And he certainly doesn't want them to deceive that they were pagans. See, Satan is a deceiver. In fact, Satan is often referred to as an angel of light, meaning he describes himself, he tries to look like that which is righteous or, or, or right before God. His attempt is to deceive people, and so because Satan's a deceiver, the reality of what they're talking about in this is that when they were pagans, they were led astray. What he's saying here is most likely they were led astray by somebody performing signs and wonders. Somebody who looked like they were a follower of Christ. But the truth is, is that the mark of a follower of Christ is not whether or not they perform miracles or healings. The mark of a follower of Christ is one who is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Growing in that joy and that patience, that peace, that kindness and gentleness and love and self-control. See, the signs and wonders were never to be a thing that was that was to affirm in that believer's life that they knew Christ. What was to affirm that they knew Christ was that Christ was working in them and they were becoming more like him. And so it says in Matthew 7, 21-23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wow. You see, the mark of a person's salvation is not the practicing of these miraculous gifts, but rather the genuine heart confession of Jesus as Lord. The only one that can say Jesus is Lord is the follower of Christ. And his point is that these spiritual gifts are going to those who have said, Jesus is Lord. That they are believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, put those sins to death, and then was raised again on the third day, defeating the power of death. And for all of those who believe in Jesus, who repent of their sin and confess Him as Lord, will experience the salvation of Jesus. And that salvation that we have in Christ is then confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 tells us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that work is confirmed in our life as His presence begins to move and work and change our heart and renew our heart. So verse 4, four through 6 continue this way. It says, now there are a variety of gifts same spirit, and there are a variety of service of the same Lord, and there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everything. Notice the repeated phrase, but the same spirit, but the same Lord, but the same God. Paul's reminding them of the oneness of the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. 
That God is one essence, three persons. One essence and three persons. And they're completely unified in purpose. In the same way, he's preparing for what is to come when he's telling them about the spiritual gifts. He's going to show them that this is the way that he desires his body to be interacting. That his body is to be the one carrying out his work through the Holy Spirit. And to be working in unity and community the way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one essence is one, but in three persons. The beauty of that is he's reminding us that our gifts, therefore, are to work together in the same way that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one. And there is total and complete communion. His desire is for the body to be the exact same way. That we are to be a reflection of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work. And so, how do we then not become deceived and serve God in oneness through our spiritual gifts? Well, this is where he begins to lay out, starting in verse 4, how we do this and how we serve God in oneness with our spiritual gifts as the body of Christ. And so in verse 4 through 11, he says, But it is the same God who empowers them all in everything, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every spiritual gift is empowered by the Holy Spirit for building up of the body of Christ. Every spiritual gift. Every spiritual gift empowered by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. See, spiritual gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit and are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. The word here, manifestation, it literally means appearance or revelation. And so through the use of our spiritual gifts, we as a body are able to see the reality of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That when we're using our spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given us, it actually is declaring to others the reality and truth of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we talk about service and serving God in context of things that need to get done. But the truth is, it is less about things need to get done and more about revealing the Spirit. More about revealing the truth of God. More about revealing the truth of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we're not using our spiritual gifts the way that God has called us to use them, we are actually preventing His Spirit from being revealed. It's much bigger than things need to get done. It's much broader than, hey, we need teachers for this class, or we need help in hospitality, or we need somebody to mow the lawn. It's far bigger than that. What it's about is the revealing of the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying here is, listen, these gifts have been given to you, not so that you might glory in them yourself and take pride in them yourself and, and rob God of his glory and, and then find yourself being filled up and boastful because of the gift that God has given you. But rather, this gift is about revealing who God is. 
Our service to the Lord has to not be about necessarily the tasks that are being done, but it has to be about the revelation of God and the truth of who He is. So I thought about this, and one of the things that stands out to me is doesn't it change the way that we approach God when there's a need? Doesn't it change the way that we approach His church when there's a need? Because no longer is it about me fulfilling a task, but now it's about me revealing the truth of Christ, the truth of the Spirit, the truth of the Father, the truth of God as one. See, through the use of our spiritual gifts, we're able to see the reality of the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham said this. He said, A gift might also be called a tool or an instrument to be used rather than a piece of jewelry for decoration or a box of candy for personal enjoyment. These tools have been given to people for use in the functioning of the body of Christ. We're to be using the gifts that God's given us. Why? Because every spiritual gift is empowered by the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ. This is what the Spirit is doing. David Howard adds this. He says, God has not called a spiritual elite to carry out the work of the ministry, bypassing the ordinary believer in the church. Rather, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each one of us. Now notice which ones you missed. Now this is not an exhaustive list. We know from Ephesians 4 that there are other gifts that are mentioned, and Romans 12 where there are other gifts that are mentioned. But let's take a look at what he mentions here. He first says, utterances of wisdom. Well, this is wisdom, the ability to apply biblical knowledge to mundane and difficult situations. It's to take what the knowledge is and apply it with wisdom, to apply that knowledge the practical life or the situation in front of you. It's a gift. When you meet somebody who is wise and you see the spiritual gift of wisdom at work within them, you can't get enough of it. My grandfather was this man. He was a man who had a spiritual gift of wisdom and he could take scripture and he could make that scripture and he could apply it to just about every situation. It was amazing. You go with these hard, strong, ethical questions and he was this one that could just borrow it right now. He was a tremendous counselor because of his wisdom. God has blessed him with that gift, that spiritual gift of wisdom. The next one says here is knowledge. And this is an ability to know God's truth supernaturally. This is that a growing in the, the knowledge of God. This is beginning to know and understand God's word. With people within our own body here, God's saying, listen, you have the gift of knowledge. You look at Scripture, you see Scripture, you understand Scripture quickly. Uncanny how quickly you grab Scripture. I remember years ago sitting with Mark Stone, and Mark, I would say, has the gift of knowledge. Asked him for something and we were looking at a passage together, and the instantaneous ability that he has to put that passage into an outline is amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 
just instant. Another gift he mentions here is faith. This is trusting in God in all circumstances, even against all odds. When a person has a gift of faith, they're able to walk in things that many of us are not. And notice these are all things that God calls us to have, right? We're to have wisdom, we're to have knowledge, we're to have faith. But this spiritual gift of faith is different. It's being able to trust God in all circumstances, even when it seems like there's no hope. Then he goes on and he speaks of gifts of healing and of working of miracles. And then he comes to prophecy. And prophecy is, is essentially the telling of God's message in a particular situation, but always in accordance with God's word. Not just good preaching. It, it's the thing God lays upon your heart that is in accordance with God's word. And it may include a warning or instruction. And in 1 Thessalonians, we're told not to despise prophecy. Keith Pritchell puts it this way. He says, prophecy is a declaration of God's will to God's people. Prophecy is for edification and encouragement and does not necessarily exclude teaching and doctrine. I think too often it's gotten into this kind of foretelling of events. That's not what prophecy is, but it is to say that like the prophets, it may involve warning or instruction, the ability to see what God is doing and leading and how God is working in our lives and to be able to bring it to bear. To warn and instruct the body. Then he goes on and he speaks about distinguishing between spirits. That's discernment. It's being able to see when something is not of Christ. It's being able to see when there is a false teacher. In fact, those who have discernment describe it as an uncanny ability to, to, to see hypocrisy or to see sin. To see a lack of truth in what is being stated. It really is to discern what's actually coming underneath the heart. And then he speaks of various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And notice how he concludes this portion of the letter, verse 11. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So each of these spiritual gifts are given by the same Spirit. And they're empowered by the same Spirit. And because they're empowered by the same Spirit... If everyone is walking in those gifts, that same Spirit is bringing them into unity to reveal Himself the world. Even more specifically, to reveal Himself to the body. The beauty of that is that when the Spirit is at work within the body of Christ, what's happening is, is we are experiencing as the body of Christ the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit, the visible presence of the Holy Spirit, and the world is seeing the same. 
One of the things that can happen is we look at Pentecost and we see the Holy Spirit come upon his people. And we wonder why does the Holy Spirit not reveal himself in the same way today where a person responds to Christ and the Spirit comes upon him and now we know we have a Spirit. Well, here's why. Because when the Spirit is at work within the body of Christ, when we are doing and living and we are submitted to the Spirit, and then we're using the gifts the Spirit has given us, and we're walking in unity with one another, what he's saying is the Spirit is just as visible today in that as it was when he came upon the very first believers in the early church. What an awesome thing that would be. You know what they saw on that day? They saw a church with power. That's what they saw. That they couldn't explain. That's what the world sees today when the Holy Spirit that work within his people is a church of power. Or a church in power. A power that they cannot explain. But that we know only comes through the unity of the Spirit that work within his people. Verse 12 and 13. It says, For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You see, this oneness of the body actually reflects the believer's communion with Christ. It's verifying, it's, it's telling the story that this believer, that this person, this body is actually in communion with Christ. So it's showing the face of Christ, but it's also saying these people are in communion and they're connected with Christ. In essence, what's happening is the world's going, what's different? And then the same sentence, they're going, now I know what's different. What's different is Christ, and now I know what's different is that they are connected to Christ. They have a relationship with the living God. That's a pretty awesome thing. That's what the Holy Spirit is at work doing us through us through these gifts. Second truth that we need to see in this is that each member is important to the function of the body. Each member is important to the function of the body. Verses 14 through 20 says, Because I am not, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were a, fill in blank, where would be blank? But as it is arranged, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Each member is important to the function of the body of Christ. You can't say that I don't have any value to bring to the body of Christ. To do so is to actually call God a liar. It's to say that he's lying. God has given each believer a spiritual gift to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. At least one gift. 
and for many more. And sometimes some of those gifts comes and go depending on the circumstances that you face. Have you ever experienced spiritual gifts that you never had before? I remember being in a ministry context for a number of years where no one really had a natural gifting towards evangelism. In my own life, I'm not a natural evangelist. It's difficult for me to find ways to creatively share my faith and to express it with boldness. I have to think about it, pray about it, and step into it. But there was a season in my life, a number of years ago, ministry, and then again when I was in the hospital a few years ago, where God just gave me a gift for being able to express the gospel with boldness and clarity, and not only that, he gave me the desire to do it constantly in a way that I'd never had before. It's interesting. But more than interesting, it was exciting. It was awesome to see God at work through that, because it had nothing to do with me, because I know me. I know me. And when that's happening, I literally had a moment where I just remember lying in the bed going, what is going on? Like, this is funky. This is not me. But being greatly encouraged as God continued to work through that. Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each of us is important to the function of the body. And so if you're choosing not to use your spiritual gifts, you're choosing not to serve the body of Christ in that way, what you're doing is you're robbing the body of Christ from the blessings the Lord has through the unique gifting that he's given you. Unless we understand that, that it's more than just a task, but it is a way and a means by which the Spirit is revealed, we can quickly allow apathy to rob us of the ability to use our gifts. That desire that we're serving together, one another, side by side, using our gifts, not so that he can complete the greatest task around not so he can build the, the biggest hole or simply paint a building. But he's doing it because it reveals his truth. One pastor said this, if we find we are reluctant to know God's gifts because we are afraid of what he might call us to do with them, it seems to be faith to confess before God. If we're afraid of what it means to, to, to use our gifts, and what the commitment might be to use our gifts, we need to confess it before the Lord. God's given you a gift to be used. And if we find our, ourselves fearful, and maybe that fear comes from past, past pain, or we've been in situations where we go, I'm just never going to put myself in that situation again. Maybe it's because we've had bad experience in other churches. Maybe it's because we realize that if we ask the Lord to reveal that and we commit to doing it, that we're actually going to have to commit to doing it. But either way, if we're fearing the use of our gifts and the commitment that comes with those gifts, 
need to go to the Lord. And truly, we need to say, Lord, I think it's about me and not about you. And I need your forgiveness. And I'm willing to walk with you in obedience where you lead me. Paul's drawing out here that each member is important in the Christian body. The third truth that is essential for oneness in the body of Christ, the first is that each believer has been given a gift, the second is that each member is important, and the third is that all members and spiritual gifts are to be honored. All members and spiritual gifts are to be honored. All of them. Verse 21 through 26, it says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Now, this word modesty in Greek literally means elegance or gracefulness. Elegance or gracefulness. And so, one person put it this way God often gives similar gifts to different people. But there's a uniqueness about this that makes each of us distinct from any other person who has ever lived. And if any one of us is missing, the body is incomplete, lacking some part. Why? Because each believer brings a level of, quote, gracefulness or elegance to the unified picture of Christ. Verse 25 through 26 goes on and says that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now what's the point of this, this honor? Why are all the gifts honored? Because the honor is to, lead, is to lead to a humble care within the body. It's to lead to a humble care within the body. It simply says this, it says that Sue is no less important than any elder or deacon. Sue is no less important than any other person within this body. And the gifts she has, the spiritual gifts, the, the talents and abilities that she has as well, are no less important than anyone else. One of the reasons that we believe so strongly in elder leadership within our church is the church should not rise and fall on one man. And too often, we begin to create a hierarchy within the body of Christ of what gifts or who has more to offer. And what Christ is saying is everyone has more to offer. What does that mean? That means that even the autistic child has a purpose within the body of Christ. It means that no matter how young or how old a person is within the body of Christ, they still have purpose. It means that each one actually has been granted a gift, those who are believing on Christ, and are actually being used for the building up of the body of Christ. It means that as a pastor or shepherd, I'm no more important than anyone else. And the church does not rise or fall based upon one person because one person's gifts does not make a church. 
It is each person's gifts working together through the power of the Holy Spirit, believing on Christ. That is the church. And so, all gifts are to be honored, and that honor is to lead to a humble care which says, listen, I am going to respond and treat others and respond to others and meet others' needs in the same way that I would regardless of their giftings or roles. The fourth is that God assigns specific spiritual gifts and roles to each believer within the body. God assigns specific spiritual gifts and roles to each believer within the body. Notice what it says in verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. And he goes on and he says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still in that excellent way. God is the one who assigns. That's why we can rejoice. God's the one who assigns the gifts. That's why we can rejoice. Notice the order of the gifts here. God places priority on those gifts which declare the truth of God. This is not a hierarchy. What he's saying is, he's saying, listen, I want you to pursue those things. Why? Because he wants to start there. Because they're the ministry of the truth of God. They're pointing to who Jesus is in word. But he does not say, stay there. He does not say, listen, these are the most important gifts. He says, as followers of Christ, I want you to seek these things. I want you to pursue them. And I want you to pursue them earnestly. I want you to pursue the scriptures with the idea of teaching. I want you to pursue the scriptures with the idea of shepherding. I want you to pursue the scriptures with the idea of hearing the word and hearing from the Lord and sharing that with others. God is the one who assigns specific spiritual gifts, not man. And if we're going to walk in oneness, we have to cling to the fact that each believer has been given spiritual gifts. We have to cling to the fact that each believer's gifts are important. We have to cling to the fact that all of those gifts, all of the gifts that the Lord has given to his church are to be honored. And finally, we need to remember that God is the one who assigns the specific spiritual gifts. It is by no mistake he gave you the gifts that he had. So here's two things. For some, may say, gosh, I wish I had a different spiritual gift. God's given to you because he knows it's best. And he knows that you will fulfill that gift best. In the same way, there are others of you going, gosh, man, I wish I didn't have this spiritual gift. Wish I didn't have to use it in this way. 
That was me at 21. The last thing that I wanted to do was go into ministry. The last thing that I ever wanted to be was a pastor. And I fought my call to ministry with a passion and with a fervor. Anything that I could do, I thought I wanted to get away from it. But the truth is, once I yielded to the fact that this is what God was calling me to do, that this was going to be the best place that I could ever be, and I'll tell you, I wouldn't change it for the world. See, God's assignment is by no mistake. And so when God has given you a gift, do not believe it's a mistake, but know that it's an opportunity to rest and trust in His power to do the work, not through your own power. Because too often, spiritual gifts become those things where we talk about them as being gifts from God, but that we do in our own strength. And this is not a spiritual gift. It's just a nice talent to have. But the spiritual gift is when we step aside and we allow the Spirit to work through us to do only the things that He could do. Where He takes us outside of our comfort zones and begins to move us into areas where we begin to serve the Lord with passion and with fervor. And where it's united with the rest of the body of Christ, presenting a picture of the truth of the Holy Spirit. So, what's calling us, God calling us to do today? What was one of the things that came out of Pentecost? Well, it was that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and we might do ministry in His power. That ministry God has given spiritual gifts to so that it might bring unity and reveal the true glory of God. So God has called each one of us to serve His church. To step forward and to serve in different areas, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in hospitality, whether it's going out to FEMA Village, whatever it may be, God has called us to serve His church. And as we serve His church, we walk confidently knowing that He will boldly reveal His truth. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon put this, and we'll end on this. He said this, speaking of his church, he said, I want every member of this church to be a worker. We do not want any drones. If there are any of you who want to eat and drink and do nothing, there are plenty of places elsewhere where you can do it. There are empty pews about in abundance. Go and fill them, for we do not want you. Every Christian who is not a bee is a wasp. The most quarrelsome persons are the most useless. And they who are the most happy and peaceable are generally those who are doing the most for Christ. It's a bit strong. But I think it speaks directly to God's point in giving us his gifts. That we might not sit on the sidelines looking to be served but we might get in the game with Christ knowing that as we are walking with Christ in the power of His Spirit and serving the Lord it's not about the task but it's about the revelation of God's Word and His truth. Amen? Amen. Lord God
God, as we seek you this morning, may we take a few minutes, Father, in our own hearts, and may we settle in before you and just rest on this truth that you've given us these spiritual gifts, the work of your spirit, so that you might be known. Father, may we count it as a privilege to be able to serve you and, and see it as something that we get to do, not something that we have to do. Lord God, may you prick our spirits in those areas where we may need to be serving. May you prick our spirits where fear of commitment has risen above the place of your gift. Father, may you work in our hearts where we may have elevated other gifts or felt like we're unimportant. And may we know now, Father, may we walk in the truth that these gifts that you've given are empowered. Empowered by the same Spirit. So, Father, as we serve together as your church, using the gifts that you've granted through your Spirit, May your truth be known, and may your glory be seen by all. And we ask this in your name.